Oh, thank you for having me up. Uh, usually, I'll do a New Year's sermon every once in a while. Uh, so this is a, a rare appearance <laughs> that's not on New Year's. I, I asked my wife, hey, you know, do you have any advice for me? And she goes, yeah, you know, don't try to be charming or witty or intelligent. You know, be yourself. <laughs> Thanks, hon. <laughs> so we've been in a series about uh, art, faith, and life. And my goal for this message is to help conclude the series by showing that that the whole series actually ties into a, a much grander narrative. If we understand the bigger story, we can have a better sense of how our story fits and how we can actually live in that bigger story. So let's go ahead and flip. Uh, because, as New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, we're summoned to become a character in his story and suddenly, Everything looks different. This message for, is for everyone who has ever had a crisis of meaning in their life, whether it was as large as triggering full-blown anxiety or depression as we explored a few weeks ago, or as small as creating the single thought, why am I doing this? And go ahead. So I'm going to tell this epic story in three large movements. Movement one, I call the pulling of the wool. Movement two, paradise lost. Movement three, paradise regained. People are often inspired when a community like Granville moves towards the artistic. But, and there is a but, there's a sticking point. There's a trap of the mind that can hold us back. Go ahead and advance the slide, there we go. So movement one is the pulling of the wool. The saying, have the wool pulled over your eyes, probably comes from the 1800s when men wore wigs like these, made of wool. Thieves would pull their wigs down over their eyes to rob them, and so the saying came to mean to blind someone temporarily so they don't see how you're actually mistreating them. My point being, our modern and technologically savvy culture has in one way kind of pulled the wool over our eyes. We've been duped by the forces of culture that have infected the way we perceive the world and colored how we interact with everything. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a little mad when I know I've been misled. Let me illustrate. Listen to this description. A two-dimensional figure with four straight sides, four right angles, that includes unequal adjacent sides. On its base of red lead, white lead, zinc or iron oxide, in a vehicle of linseed oil with added litharge and silica filler. The shape depicted is a rendering of the combustion of carbon dioxide, water vapor, oxygen and nitrogen gases producing an exothermic reaction. Light waves entering the transparent layers are absorbed or reflected at various wavelength frequencies before being bounced back out. And these are captured by photosensory cells and proceed accordingly. Can anyone guess what I'm talking about? Do you feel inspired? 
look up on the wall and go to the next slide. What I just described was this oil painting by former Granville member Steve Williams called Fire of the Spirit. So what does this have to do with being duped? Well, let's listen to a small passage from the book Chance or Dance, a critique of modern secularism by Thomas Howard. You're going to adjust it because I'm making sounds. There you go. I thought he was going to come up and like, no, but okay. <laughs> Great. The let's uh, flip to that quote, okay? So, when people say the scientific way is the only true way to view the world, it becomes, at that point, scientism, which is a systematic misinterpretation of the human world. So let me say that again. When people say the scientific way is the only true way to view the world, it becomes scientism, which is a systematic misinterpretation of the human world. We need a bigger story. He goes on to talk about two different views of how to perceive the world. The bigger story would not, I suppose, have quarreled with the modern description of a lion as such and such an organization of muscle, blood, and bone. It would have been delighted and astonished. But it would have been puzzled if we had insisted that's all there is to it. What? But the lion is the king of beasts. Look at the royal head. Look at that regal pace. Beware its wrath. Of course, it's what you say it is, a complex of tissues and blood. And I never would have found out that without your analytical, analytical method of inquiry into the lion's body. But whatever makes you say that's all there is to it, what a truncated view. What's your world like anyway that you flatten it out this way? What is the lion if he's not the epiphany of majesty? It's your own myopia and superstition that blind you. Unlike scientism, the bigger story doesn't see the world as a chance collection of elements and events. Whether we like it or not, we live in a world and a culture soaked in the viewpoint of scientism. It infects all that we do and how we think. And it doesn't take much knowledge of history to see that the church has never been immune to the influences of culture through its existence. Scientism and secularism are just some of the recent waves. We'll do a little exercise. So if you look at the painting out loud, what does it mean to you? Anything come to mind? Go ahead. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Heat. Heat. <laughs> okay. Okay. Passion. Beauty. Absolutely. Hmm? Yes. Absolutely. Good. All right. I mean, hopefully you're getting a little bit of the point. Was anything about the painting how I originally described it untrue? Was it incorrect? But that's not all there is to it. You've just expressed it. Now, this is not a science versus religion message. Far from it. Science is spectacular. It's scientism. 
that causes the issues. Science can uncover amazing and wondrous truth. Do you see all the new pictures uh, with the new telescope that's up? But we also know in inexplicable and decidedly unscientific ways that the world is not just an accumulation of facts. And that's the dominant viewpoint of our culture. And that will trap your thinking and sometimes trip you up when you want to start moving into embracing art and aesthetics. Science is helpful in many ways, but it's deficient in that it can never enlighten you about the meaning of anything. It's only one way of knowing. That painting's value, significance, impact, inspiration, and lure to engage doesn't lie in the facts about it, but in the question, what does it mean? Meaning is another way of knowing. And maybe, actually, the more significant one that interprets the universe, and especially the human world. It's like the young elementary school child whose sense of wonder was crushed when he learned that stars were balls of burning gas. Based on his frame of reference, he lamented, you mean they're just farts on fire? You thank me, I don't have a slide for that one. But what if one of popular culture's most iconic and scientific minds actually gets it? To set up the clip we're going to watch, he has just returned from an encounter, from a mind meld with an unimaginably powerful living machine. Spock, again, the epitome of scientific and logical thought, finally realizes that the wool has been pulled over his eyes. That taken to its logical final conclusion, as the entity V'ger took it, the end destination of knowing the facts about everything and having all knowledge and all logic provides no answers to the question of meaning and therefore no hope. Spock is actually ripe for the true gospel. We'll go back to the slides at some point. <laughs> so, so where does movement or where does meaning come from? Let's move on to movement two. Next one after this. Paradise lost. But first a reminder of a deep truth that's become so familiar. It's lost its power of enchantment and wonder. It's overflowing with meaning and it shouts from the very first line of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God deemed the original creation very good. His character and his attributes permeated everything and these included qualities like beauty, truth, creativity, goodness, self-sacrificial love. Theologians label these as transcendent. They're values of a universe in full harmony with God, where heaven and earth are intimately connected. When you took the facts about the painting and threaded them together with the people and the places and the events in your experience, you created a story. When your story follows the choreography of God's transcendent values, the resulting dance 
creates a pattern of meaning. Hence, the name of the message. I know you're all disappointed. No moves are happening. Transcendence. Meaning emanates from a relationship to value. As Christians, we're, we're either duped, unaware, or simply completely ignorant of the reality that we are directly connected to the source of all meaning. At least many of us live in that disconnect. At the start of all there was, the eternal God performed the first act that displayed his character. He created. The transcendent value of creativity was the first action of his power. Creativity is the turning of chaos into order. The patterning of everything led to inherent significance, value, meaning. It was ordered in the correct way. But as we see in the story of scripture, the entire universe became corrupted by sin. In other words, disorder had infected it. Heaven, the original transcendent pattern of creation, became unhooked with earth. Now some of you are thinking, Wayne, I haven't had nearly near enough coffee to have this thrown at me on a Sunday morning, okay? But bear with me, because it's important. This is the story of the gospel. All too often, we as Christians, especially in the evangelical space, flatten the gospel only to be about our personal salvation. But this is the real gospel, the good news for all creation. A couple of passages to illustrate. In Colossians, talking about the restorative sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it says, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself just people? No, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And another passage that I used to actually think was kind of confusing until I understood better this bigger story. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but the will of the one who subjected it. You mean even the fall was part of the plan? In hope that creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay, from the chaos, and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We feel and we suffer the effects of the unhooking of heaven and earth. But the bigger story we're in is, it about, is about it being put back together in correct relationship. If heaven and earth weren't unhooked, then why did Jesus instruct us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Why the prayer if it's not unhooked? Next slide. Movement three, paradise regained. So this is a neat theology, but what exactly does it have to do with art? And what's it have to do with my everyday life and faith? You might be thinking, so what? Can I get a so what? So what? Th thank you for asking. Art 
especially Christians engaged in the artistic, can be an expression of the transcendent. Things like creativity, beauty, and truth rise above. They transcend the corruption of sin, and they give us a glimpse of the kingdom where all things are reconciled back to God and ordered in the right way. Art can be a window into the real gospel, but art and Christianity have had a bit of a checkered past. When the commandment, do not make any graven images, is misapplied to the entire field of artistic endeavor, it unfortunately becomes yet another example of where the church has completely missed the point. Now, Granville has not been immune to that view of art. I don't know if anyone who's here for a while, but the original fascia here had no cross motif at all. It was only when it was redone did it incorporate that aesthetic at all. And thanks, Fook Wing, for all the fantastic architectural design knowledge. And I've been here long enough to remember that it was actually controversial and a big deal at the time to let that painting hang in the sanctuary. But it's always been the case. God has moved Granville forward because imagery, I know this makes me cry too, because imagery doesn't equate to idolatry. Especially since scripture is full of imagery that appeals to the senses and imagination. Scripture is a significant inspiration for all forms of art. Painting, photos, plays, poetry, books, music, sculpture, architecture, dance, the list goes on. And a good thing too, because it's all part of that bigger story. But why? When an ancient Hebrew heard the creation account of Genesis, it was obvious to them, not so much to us, that this was the account of the building of a temple. Creation is the cosmic temple of God. In multiple places in scripture, we're called a royal priesthood. Man's role is to worship the king by serving him in the temple. In the Hebrew version of reality, there's no division between sacred and secular. All of life and human flourishing are a form of worship as it happens in God's temple. Not only priests, but we're also his image bearers. Christ is our great high priest embodying the pattern we're supposed to follow. We're made to contribute and to advance the human project of making something out of God's world, which in turn then reflects our creative God. We're not made to consume culture, which is kind of where most of us are stuck, but transform and create culture to invest in human flourishing and participate in this gospel of reconciliation. God wants his followers to orient their lives to his nature, to these transcendent values. He's not much interested in religious practices that don't effectively attune our hearts to God. He wants his ways to inform the ordinary of our lives and shape our reality. And we can only be priests and image bearers if we keep ourselves in this space of the transcendent. We'll go to the next one, and that's why it says things in scripture like this. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. In other words, get your head and your whole being in the correct ordering of reality. Think and act in ways that rehook heaven and earth. If you find yourself in a crisis of meaning, claim it back. Embrace your priestly Christ-likeness by being culture makers. When you bring order to chaos, you're doing a godly service. Make art, play music, play sports, or any of the creative things you do. I'm pretty sure TikToks don't count. No, actually, no, they, they do, sorry, they do count. Now, you might say, hey, but I'm not creative. Good try, but you're not off the hook. His story is big enough to include everyone. When you wash the dishes or put a plant in a room to beautify it, when you organize things at school or at work, when you number the pages of your school essay or work report, you are turning chaos into order. When you cook, you're taking the gift of God and combining it with your work to present it back to him. That's the very definition of worship. In all of these things, you're bearing God's image. Like the other day, I actually got really creative and I made a new kind of manly salad. <laughs> I call it bacon salad. Now, I'm not sure I got the balance right. I think, they, I think there's still too much lettuce in my taste, but anyway. When you call attention to beauty or truth in your conversations with others, when you display self-sacrificial love in your interactions with others, you are re-hooking heaven and earth. You're being his priest because every act, no matter how ordinary, that recognizes and reflects any of these transcendent qualities is a mini-celebration of their highest form. Let me read that one again. Because every act, no matter how ordinary, that recognizes and reflects any of these transcendent qualities is a mini-celebration of their highest form. In the culture we now find ourselves in, I believe that many people are on the same journey as Spock, and they're in a crisis of meaning, either intentionally or because they've had the wool pulled over their eyes. I also believe that pointing to and sharing the transcendent will become one of the most effective ways we as Christians can share the good news with our current culture. You may have noticed, but the tactic of telling people they're sinners doesn't fly anymore with our culture. Not that it's untrue, it just doesn't get any traction. I leave you with this quote from theologian Alexander Schmiemann that explains how we can all be partners with Jesus in this grand transcend dance. The Christian is the one who wherever he looks finds Christ and rejoices in him. And this joy transforms all his human plans and programs, decisions and actions, making all his mission the sacrament of the world's return 
to him who is the life of the world. That's why this series on art and faith and life was important.